0: The enhanced editions of George R.R. Martin's Game of Thrones books are available exclusively on iBooks, including the just-released A Feast for Crows Enhanced Edition.
1: It contains interactive character maps, hundreds of author notes, beautiful illustrations, a sigil guide, and much more. All these extras bring the thrilling adventure to life and help you stay on top of the epic storylines.
0: Get A Feast for Crows Enhanced Edition exclusively on iBooks at apple.co slash Game of Thrones. Not available in all countries.
2: Only 20 years ago, the Knights of the Vale rode behind John Arryn, Ned Stark, Robert Baratheon. They fought together to overcome the Mad King. And since then, Arryn and Royce, Corbray, Wainwood, all the great houses of the Vale, watched from the corner a timid boy at a tavern brawl. Are you questioning our courage? I want to know which side you're on.
0: Which episode is this?
1: Uh, three fifty nine.
0: Episode three fifty nine of Game of Thrones starts now. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us on Welcome this. To we're, we're, we're doing something new with this episode. Just come right out and say at the beginning. We're excited because these two chapters are fantastic, and we need more women in the room to talk about it.
1: Real. Thanks for joining us. We've got Elaine one and Aria two coming up and we had the chance to chat with some of our listeners who called in and we got some feminine perspective um, which is kind of nice for me. You don't Uh, think I bring the feminine perspective (laughs) very well. Unfortunately (laughs) you you do great work but um, (laughs) it was fun it was fun and and, um, so thanks for everybody who called in and for those of you who weren't able to make it on with us this time we'll definitely have to do it again because we had a lot of fun.
2: Hello, Diane. Hey, hey how's it going?
0: So good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Thanks for hopping on. Man, <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: a little different. Have you, I'm assuming <laughs> yeah. you've listened to the podcast before. Otherwise, oh, yeah. how did you find this?
2: Since, I want to say very near the beginning of the podcast. And about every 18 to 20 months or so, I do a complete re listen of every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Get bored, and then, you know, I just listen to it and I just l- keep listening and listening and listening. And it's always fun to go back.
0: Yeah, I haven't done that yet, but I'm afraid to listen to some of our old theories and look at That's how the way things have turned out.
2: <laughs> it's hilarious. You guys are doing Elaine and Aria this week, right? Mm hmm. Okay, we yeah, are. Perfect. Have you
1: been reading along with
2: us? Um, I've been off and on reading. I just did a reread of the books last fall. And okay. then, um, so I just skimmed through them now. Mm-hmm. Coming off fresh. Coming off fresh, yeah.
0: Well, this was a pair of chapters today. We retreated to both of the Stark sisters, something that hasn't happened yet in our combined reading order.
2: In the beginning, I hated Sansa so much. I totally hated her. I associated her with my older sister, one who was more, you could say, girly girl. And I was more like Arya, the younger sister, very tomboy, doesn't play by the rules type thing. But the more, like, in that regard, it's still very the same, like, with me and my sister. But is my favorite character. I love oh, her. Thank She's you. She's so Thanks. strong. She's so powerful. Like, to have endured what she went through, first with Joffrey and then with Stupid Bolton
1: I think like one of the big things I thought for this chapter in particular and just where we are in the story right now is Sansa kind of turning from this girl that a lot of us weren't behind. And I think a lot of us had negative feelings towards, towards somebody who is actually killing the game.
2: She's, I probably, she's going to become, if she hasn't already, the best player. Mm -hmm. If she can kill off Baelish.
1: Littlefinger, um, I think, turns her from this girl into somebody who can play the game. And I think he refines her and teaches her the rules. And then I think she's able to use her manner, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, to yeah. as, as a strength for herself. So I'm interested to see how she takes that uh, in the future.
2: Am I allowed to ask how you guys feel about the differences between Book Sansa slash, you slash can ask us anything. and Show Sansa and like that split? With their store her storyline.
0: Do you mean predominantly with Sansa? Yeah. Taking the role, heading to Winterfell, or or the way yeah. that it's adapted here at the Erie,
2: or taking
1: on um, um, what's his name Ramsay?
2: Yeah, like how storyline. Like I understand, like coming in with more characters to pretend to be Arya with Bolton. Totally understand. That's just extra casting, extra money. But I don't know how I feel about like how because we don't really know after what is it peace for crows we really don't have much from sansa
0: mm-hmm. not yet
2: so i don't maybe it's just the uncertainty like where does she go it's
0: one of those things that's difficult to truly judge without knowing everything that george and the showrunners know specifically my guess is that sansa was heading in that direction either way and they raised some of the stakes because Ramsey marrying a fake aria in winterfell Makes sense in the scale of the book that we're reading, but I think as far as HBO was concerned, and and the showrunners yeah. like crafting a tighter story, they made that fake Stark and actual Stark, and mm-hmm. put Sansa right in the middle of danger. And for the sake of seasons that we're watching, I think it it raised the tension and it raised a lot of the stakes because it was her and not someone that we didn't know.
1: Very true. Right. Yeah, I felt fine about it. I mean, I loved Sansa this last season. I was just I love her. going crazy.
2: Honestly, I think. As, a, gen- as an, a whole, generally, season six was one of my least favorite seasons. Really? Really. It, I, I, okay. It's it's this weird confliction because I absolutely loved it. I mean, so far, it's probably the technically and acted the best, you know, because they keep getting better with each season. They learn and grow and expand and evolve. But I really hate how fast they've sped things up.
0: And we're looking at, you know, two incomplete seasons if 10 episodes are your complete season ahead of
1: us. Yeah, there's not much time left.
0: I don't know if we were all ready for the ebb and flow to start transitioning toward the end of everything, but season six definitely marked that.
2: I just feel like in the first, like, three, four, almost five seasons, first half of the fifth season, it was pretty, the, the pacing was pretty consistent with how fast things were. And then now all of a sudden it's, oh, Varys is in King's Landing and now he's back in Marine and now he's yeah. back in King's Landing and now he's back <laughs> in Marine in like four episodes. And you're like-
1: Time traveling, basically.
2: The The speed at which things are, obviously things have to speed up because they're coming together in a whatever the big climax will be. But it just seems like the actual like, telling of time is being sped up. And that's it's really threw me for a loop. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, in
1: that regard, I'm grateful that the book wasn't out yet because I think that we're looking at this condensed version. I think it would have been even more painful if we had already had Winds of Winter to see how much we are missing in between. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm glad that we're getting this now.
2: With that point though, Hannah, would you rather have the next two seasons out before you get the next book or do you want the? obviously we want the next book
1: right i it's like i always say i, I want i don't want winds of winter until uh we're done with our read-through
2: that's the perfect i don't
1: like, know i almost enjoy the show not that i enjoy the show more but i'm able to watch it on a different level when i'm not because i i read the books before i ever watched the show and so i've spent my whole time going, well, that wasn't in the books. And why is that different? I'm being just annoying and obnoxious about it. And I love the opportunity to learn something new, whether or not that ends up happening in the books or not, whether or not the story plays out exactly the same way, to be able to see it and experience it for the first time with us on the show together and with everybody who's watching instead of... Not that I didn't relish in the, well, I know exactly what's going to happen next, you know? But I kind of like that shared experience that comes from all of us not knowing what's happening. So... I don't know. I mean, not that I don't want Winds of Winter, because I absolutely do.
2: Oh, totally. I was hoping, because season 10 last year was um, titled The Winds of Winter, I was really hoping that at the the evil, awful fade to black at the end that always happens, then instead of the uh, credits popping up, there, George R. R. Martin would come on screen and announce the release date. Wow. I would have... Flips! <laughs> i would need to have do like that. thrown wow. my tv
1: in excitement
0: that's the ultimate advertisement for the new book they must do that
1: can you just imagine him just like coming on the screen just staring we'd be like what is happening
0: maybe they shoot him sitting on the throne and it's just a <laughs> gradual yeah,
2: and just announcing the release date or something i was really hoping because the book title was this the season um ending title I was hoping that that would be a cool correlation to announce it, but
0: no don't you love that they ended the last season with the winds of winter while we're awaiting the winds of winter?
2: Oh, it's terrible and yeah well,
0: at the end of this read through you know it's it's winter, snow is falling yeah. it's just right now we're at the point where everything including God, the show is said. porting toward we're what's going. coming exactly
2: yeah, oh man and um oh, sorry, going Zachary, I, off, was I was just gonna, gonna talk
0: about the chapter, but yeah, I don't know you
1: wow, we're on the same Well, so we're talking about Sansa, but I'm curious about your opinion with Arya because this chapter talks a little bit about and has one of my favorite quotes of all time in the series when she gets rid of Needle or she hides Needle and looking at Arya's journey, books for a show and kind of where she's going. I'm curious to think how you felt about the way they handled House of Black and White stuff on the show, because in this chapter, we go into pretty great detail about what the lore behind that place is. And, and we learn a lot about what it means to be part of the faceless men and a little bit of their history. And so I don't know what, what your feelings on Arya are just in general and kind of where she's at.
2: Arya is total badass and I love her too. Um, and she's obsessed with cats and I love cats. So mm-hmm. we got that going on. But <laughs> awesome. I, it, in terms of the show, I think that it was, a, I can see how, how they did it, why they, they did, what am I trying to say? They did it the way they did it. I can see why, but I, I do think that they could have added a little bit more backstory to the house of the dying just to kind of like round out that. Mystery. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And in terms of like using, um, Jack and Hagar as the faceless man or as her, what is it? The Alkalite?
0: As the kindly man.
2: The kindly man. That's who it is. That, I mean, in terms of the show, that made a lot of sense. And that kind of gave us book readers a nod to say they are actually connected that we've always suspected they were.
0: How do you think that Jack and Hagar interacts with what Ari is doing right now? If we were to look specifically at the books, because he's mentioned multiple times in this chapter. And when she mentions him to the kindly man, the kindly man, I, I think it seems like she he knows what she's talking about, but that it's kind of a I don't know if it felt the same for you. I know, Hannah, you just read it too. It felt like it was kind of a dangerous subject to me and that maybe maybe he is the kind of person that has their tricks that worked with them and that broke off and went rogue somehow because the way that it's described in this chapter, which is a huge part of what Arya is going through, is that it is very cut and dry. The history is long and storied and full of pain and that if you get to the point where you possess their power or that you've been so far in their order. Like it's complete shutdown. You're 100% one of them. They take everything. And he explains it in grotesque detail. So I'm wondering if he is part of them, is he on some kind of, was he on some kind of a mission? What is he still doing? Is he still doing anything? Is he completely random? Was he just meant to tie us here? Or does the constant mentions of him, is it, is it, trying to give us kind of in you know, our hackles being raised or some kind of suspicion that there could be more faceless assassins doing things outside of the government of the house in black and white.
2: I think Jack and Higar. Uh, yeah, yeah. He could either be rogue, but I think he's was on a mission. Do we ever, I don't remember if we find out if or why he was in the pres- in the dungeons of King's Landing. Not that I remember.
1: I don't think
0: so. I mean, I could be wrong, but there's so much to remember.
2: I, yeah, I don't remember. And I don't remember how long he was there either, which which kind of makes me wonder if he had like any part of the Mad King and the war or... If I'm just drawing conclusions. That
0: would be a long like thirteen years in the black cells before he got taken to the wall.
2: I mean serious <laughs> black spent thirteen years in Askedville. <laughs> oh, I
0: did my way sure
2: too. <laughs> well, he did twelve years of it. Yeah. Too. Close enough. Then again, he could be rogue because well, based off the show Arya, she goes and she um kills the the Kingsguard guy at the at the brothel and then she goes and kills Walder Frey. And she uses a different face both times. Right. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the um, kindly man who acts like he doesn't know Jack and Higar, he probably, you know, it could be that Jack, he doesn't know the name Jack and Higar, but he knows who she's talking about. Because, you know, change face, change the name type thing.
1: I kind of and I don't this could also be way off base, but the way I read into those conversations being had is that they were more of a reflection on what Arya was doing instead of what Jack and Hagar was doing because I feel like this whole conversation that's happening with Arya and everybody in this place is that she isn't ready and she doesn't get it and she's not fully committed and she doesn't truly understand what it would mean to be part of this world and part of me almost feels like that's another reason why we get Jack Nagar the way that we do in this or talked about the way that we do in this chapter is, is a reflection on her and like how she needs to let go of this notion of what she thought she was going to see here and what she thought she was going to get. Um, Which isn't to say that I don't think he's also got some greater purpose because I do, but I think that also was a part of it Um, in this chapter specifically. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. I just, I feel like it's a reflection on Arya just as much um, as it is with whatever he's out doing in the world that we don't know about.
0: If he was rogue in some way, that would mean establishing him in that way would give us the potential that Arya could do the same later if he or if she were able to pick up powers or skills from the House of Black and White.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Well, that's neat. I agree. <laughs> that's pretty cool. What else do we got? What, what else happened?
1: I, had the, I mean, the majority of the stuff that's not, is in the weeds as we typically get is this relationship between Sansa and Arya and, and identity and kind of both of them coming into their own, which we've, we saw in season six and we're seeing here in this latter half of leaving behind and reflecting on what it means to be a Stark as they push forward in this world.
0: And they're both leaving behind their Starkness because Arya has to specifically throw away the things that she <laughs> compiled as she was a Stark and to join this order, she has to give away her entire identity. Whilst at the veil, vale, Sansa is dealing with different levels of disguising mm-hmm. herself against the Lord's declarant and becoming Elaine. This was named Elaine, a point of view chapter where George renamed one of his characters. It's like, we know that it's Sansa. We don't necessarily need to be fooled, but for, it says I a guess. Lot. It says a lot, yeah? It says a lot.
1: It says a lot about who Sansa identifies herself as right now and the influence that Littlefinger has over her. And because I, I kind of get this idea that these named chapters are based off of what the characters think of themselves. Like you think of like the Soiled Knight and the Queen, Maker, which we just did fairly recently. That's cool. I haven't thought about it like that. Yeah, and so I think, that, I think that not only is this supposed to t- tip us off to what, is happening with Sansa, but just really give us a look into how she's identifying as herself and how she, because Arya could easily be named no one, you know, in this chapter that she's in, but because she's still so deeply identifies as a Stark, I just think it's interesting that Sansa's kind of shed that a little bit, which I think is important in her rise to
2: stardom, <laughs> whatever you want to say. <laughs> Do you think this kind of changing of, who they are away from Starks, you know, trying to hide themselves and whatnot has any overall theme with the fact that Starks keep on dying, Um, um, figuratively dying as Starks, or is it just, just a plot to disguise them?
1: I mean, I think that it's self-preservation at this point um, because I think I look at Sansa and I think that her letting go of her Stark ties a little bit in this point in her life are what's going to give her the tools to be successful and to from what we see in the show return to Winterfell and I think that and
2: rise and be awesome
1: and yeah and I think that I think that Arya shedding everything and being told that she can no longer be a Stark, essentially, uh, is a wake-up call to her as well and, and who she actually wants to be and what her purpose is. So okay. I don't know if that answers your question at all because I just forgot what your question was
2: now. <laughs> just, <laughs> but, no, just if, if <laughs> like uh, there's a theme between them having to survive and change and pretend not to be Starks, if that's a theme like corresponds with the, all the fact that Starks keep on dying. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's the same with all of our characters though, right? They're all growing up their own way. Daenerys is out east learning the hard way, yeah, spending lives to learn how to become an actual good ruler and mm-hmm. while we have Sansa and Arya paired here, they're both not being forced but being forced to shift all the while sansa still chooses the tully colors at first in the morning when she goes downstairs you know and then later on in the chapter when peter asks her to dress i know that she's not excited about not wearing the, the jewelry that she prefers but that's okay because what she chooses is just as good and for Arya's sake when you're reading this chapter and it's 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 darker and heavier than it is in the show so if you're not reading along with this look at the House of Black and White chapters for Arya because not only is the history discussed and the acolytes and the other people that fill the House of Black and White mechanically, certain people doing certain things here, certain people doing certain things here, even with all of this grandeur and darkness and just weirdness. The last time we saw her, she was getting in and then something really strange happened. Now she's given the coin, she's gained passage, she's here. We don't know what's happening with her. And her chapter was far separated from the first one. So we've been traveling all over the Seven Kingdoms. And now we're in the House of Black and White. And while she's being told she has to lose herself, herself, she's consistently telling us through her narrative in the chapter, she's still going to be Arya. And the chapter ends after she's given up in Hidden Needle. It ends as she's going away to sell oysters, clams, and cockles with her doing the prayer again, something that she was told at the beginning of the chapter to not do because it connects her to Arya. So I feel like it's clear She's always going to be Arya. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Very true. And thankfully so. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
0: so why are we here? You know, like why is she spending all this time in the house of black and white exactly? I mean,
1: we talked about that at length and in circles <laughs> during season and six. to death during the season six. I think that so many people were like, you need to just take a step back because you are talking your guys' selves in circles. But I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that we get the answers to that much more whatever, played out, thought out. Whatever.
0: It's got to be the assassins and all of the other gods, right? What else could it be? Or maybe Arya just learning how to change faces. Maybe that's it.
2: She's going to become the ultimate Stark Avenger. Shoot. She's going to murder everyone. (laughs) (laughs) She's the invisible man for the Starks, and she's going to go and kill all of their enemies. Just watch. Arya's going to be the one to take down the Night's King. Damn. Because she's going to change her face and she's going to pretend to be a White Walker. And then she's going <laughs> to take down the Night's <laughs> King. On the spot theory.
1: Damn.
2: And when wow. that comes true, you guys come and thank me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll give you another call. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Diane, for coming and, and hanging out with us and chatting thank about you so much. our, thank you guys our favorite
2: stories. So Oh, please. Oh, yeah. Please. Completely <laughs> forgot right. about think- that. How could you forget about owns on Game of Owns? Well,
0: how many call-in shows have we done, Diane? You listen. How often do we
2: do <laughs> yeah. this?
1: All right. We don't know what we're doing. Okay. We have no idea what we're doing.
2: After what six years, you guys still don't. Working I have it. an excuse, Hannah. You do have an excuse. <laughs> Which, by the way, Hannah, I wanted to tell you, I love your voice. Oh, it makes me smile. <laughs> That's sweet. Thanks for all the Hannah
0: love. <laughs> That's sweet. I
2: think from Arya's chapter. Um, honestly, my own goes to, um, crap, I'm looking for her name, but, um, the cook, I think it goes to her just the way she's taught Arya almost wordlessly how to work with her. Like she, she only slapped her hands once or whatever and taught her the word stop and how she made Arya remember that she's safe there essentially because she would have gotten beaten when she was at Heron Hall. So it's my own thank you for aria awesome. for Elaine, i'm gonna have to give this one to lord robin because he throws his porridge bowl at the <laughs> maester <laughs> and then um let's see i just had the passage globs of porridge dotted down maester coleman's face and hair as he knelt over his charge murmuring soothingly soothing, like, soothing <laughs> words one goblet crept slowly down his right cheek like a lumpy gray-brown tear. (laughs) Poor guy.
1: I want to talk about that later in this episode because there's some um, tapestry conspiracy theories. Perfect. But we'll get to that.
2: Well, I eagerly await the episode (laughs) to come out so I can hear that portion of... (laughs) discussion yeah that's our our way to hook you (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you so much for coming and and hanging out with you guys it was a fun
1: close to this wonderful monday good well thanks for listening and we just appreciate everything you are
2: (laughs) i appreciate that i'll be back good and we'll see you at Thrones*. definitely
1: let's do it bye Hey Laura, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing awesome. So did you read the chapters this week? I did. Can we talk about them?
2: Yes. <laughs> do please. we need to like
1: do pleasantries or can we just talk about how great no. these chapters were? <laughs> no, we can just talk about them. <laughs> okay. I mean, I I guess we can just start with your overall impressions and if there's anything in specific that stood out to you.
0: Wait, we should tell everyone that Laura is one of our small council members on oh, Patreon. Yeah,
1: true. So if you want to be part of our small or council. do if you have anything
0: nice to say. It.
1: Oh, these guys are the best. I could spend like eight hours talking to you.
3: And I think we've come close sometimes. And yeah. it's just always great. It flies by. So That's
0: you're reading awesome. along with us.
3: I am. Yes. Of
0: course. What kind of a small council member would you be if you weren't reading along with us? I know, right?
3: Um, but these chapters were great. And Arya's always been one of my favorite characters. So anytime that I get to... Delve into a chapter that's like more focused on her. Any one of her chapters, really, it's always just eye-opening. Even on how the long third it or fourth read? Oh, geez, um,
0: this has been a long time. She yeah. was very early in the read-through. This is only Aria two, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. But I mean, what a great character! She's so well-rounded. She's fleshed out. I think right from the get-go, she knows what she wants in life, and uh, she just goes after it. And that's so appealing. Just in any sort of character, but then just to see her take that step further with her actions and pursue what she wants is just so great, especially as like, you know, a female just doing mm-hmm. that, go
1: like go and get it. Absolutely. Because so we're talking a lot about identity with this chapter and Aria's identity in specific, and curious to hear your thoughts on how you interpret Aria's actions in this chapter and thinking about the fact that she can't let go of being a Stark and where we see her journey with season six and all of that, just what we know from Arya's story, what do you think and what do you feel the point of all of this is, you know, like, cause that's something I think that we're thinking about a little bit.
3: I I think, you know, especially in season six, uh, you know, you see her really struggle with the fact that she wants to be a part of the house of black and white, but she can't let go of, who she is as a Stark. And I think, you know, they always knew that about her, like the Faceless Men always knew that about her. But I think that was kind of why they let her stay because there was that sort of redeeming quality to her that, you know, at the end of the day, she wasn't going to forget who she was or where she came from. And I think they realized it wouldn't make her any less of an assassin in a way or a a good add to the group. But, you know, I love those Times when she talks about needle and how, Mm -hmm. you know, needle is her family. I don't remember the quote in full, but just being able to relate, you know, a physical attribute and a possession that she has back to her family members, some of who are gone, who she hasn't seen in years, you know, I, I think flashing back to that is important for her because it's those memories that kind of drive who she becomes and shapes that identity of hers.
1: Can I read it? please. It's it's three paragraphs, but I'm going to read it because it's my favorite. And so here we are close to the end of the chapter when she finally goes to hide Needle. And it says, she stood on the end of the dock, pale and goose flesh and shivering in the fog. In her hand, Needle seemed to whisper to her. Stick him with the pointy end, it it said, and don't tell Sansa. Makin's mark was on the blade. It was just a sword. If she needed a sword, there were a hundred under the temple. Needle was too small to be a proper sword. It was hardly more than a toy. She'd been a stupid little girl when John had made it for her. It's just a sword, she said, aloud this time. Dot, dot, dot. But it wasn't. Needle was Rob and Bran and Rickon, her mother and her father, even Sansa. Needle was Winterfell's gray walls and the laughter of its people. Needle was the summer snows, old Nan's stories, and the heart tree with its red leaves and scary face. The warm, earthy smell of the glass gardens, the sound of the north wind rattling the shutters of her room. Needle was Jon Snow's smile. He used to mess my hair and call me little sister, she remembered, and suddenly there were tears in her eyes." Paulver had stolen the sword from her when the mountain's men had took her captive, but when she had she and the hound walked into the inn at the crossroads, there it was. The gods wanted me to have it. Not the seven, nor him of many faces, but her father's gods, the old gods of the north. The many-faced god can have the rest, she thought, but he can't have this. How good is that? Like don't you just want to like type that out and paste that all over your wall? Because I do.
0: And she's just walked out of the house in black and white for the first time, and she's soaking in the Bravosian air, and she's looking at the water, and she's taking in her environment. It feels like Tyrion's traveling somewhere, and she's only ten years old, but the perspective that George writes inside of her head, she's very intelligent and aware of her surroundings. And it's a shame we don't have more of those chapters because if even if she was in a brighter place, it would be a little bit more impactful. You know, we saw her go through so much in the other books especially in storm but now it's just different she's at the house of black and white they're demanding her
3: allegiance allegiance Mm
0: -hmm. it's just different for Arya. i feel like the way she feels in this chapter we kind of feel as readers where she's not sure she hadn't even thought about going to king's landing yet and Mm -hmm. since this is only our second chapter with her it's a little disorienting because we're already thinking about Mm -hmm. why are we here and we just got here we're like, yeah. like, well, hold on a second. She has to be no one and give up on everything. And all that she's wanted is retribution and for her family to be together again. And now we're basically looking at the scenario of Arya giving up on all of that.
1: And
3: you have to think, too, at that point, if you're just reading and, and you had never seen the series, like, is she going to actually be able to do it? Right. You know, she's yeah. 10 years old. She's just a child. Like, I mean, she's intelligent. But the fact that she's just a kid can't get lost on people you know, that's hard to put away.
0: What do you think the role of her being a woman does to her connection with the House of Black and White?
3: I mean, I would hope that it wouldn't kind of diminish how they see her. And I think that thankfully it doesn't. She still is, you know, able to be seen as a a potential attribute. But, um, you know, I think you're always going to have readers out there who say like, you know, can she put that away and put those emotions away? And Arya's always been the kind of person where, you know, I think emotions are second for her. and you know, just physical drives in terms of, you know, just wanting to kill people almost in a way comes first. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I think they, you know, I think the House of Black and White is, they see things about people, you know, they know who they're bringing in. They're not going to invite anybody in. And I think they know, you know, she may have these ties, but maybe she can sever them. And I don't think they would have let her in if she wasn't able to make that differentiation.
1: Yeah.
0: Are you guys fooled by the mystery of the House in Black and White? Or do you not care and think it's all hogwash? Because we've seen magic in the series before. We've seen magic up to this point. We've seen magic sort of, I guess. And we know what's happening underneath the house in black and white, but it's happened here. Magic has happened here. I know that we have a lot to understand, but for me personally, and I want to know what you guys think about this, when they mention things like women bring life into the world, we bring the gift of death, no one can do both. We understand that they have a bias toward her, but yeah, they're still letting her in. And then I think about what her mantra is and what she prays to herself and what Arya herself wants to be. And I feel like she almost directly contradicts that point of view by saying, we bring the gift of death. No one can do both. Fine if she can't do both, but she's breaking the stereotype because Arya wants nothing more than to bring death. That's what she's done. That's all she's talked about in this
1: We're chapter. All she's thought about, yeah. That's it. But if you
3: offered her that choice, you know, bring death or bring life, do you really think she would ever hesitate to choose the latter? I don't know. I
1: don't think so, because I think that she would bring back her family.
0: She's saying that she has a hole in her heart. She Mm -hmm. has a hole where her heart should be, she thought, and nowhere else to go. I'm strong, as strong as you. I'm hard. Like I said, for me, just kind of smashing a little bit of the mystique of the House of, the, of Black and White, which only really grows from this point in the book. So I'm just wondering what George wanted us to know, because he could have made Arya a little bit more mystified with the process, but she's not. She just wants to listen because there's someone to listen to.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that she just needs somewhere to go. I think that she needs to feel like she has a purpose somewhere. I feel like she needs to find her pack. where Because she, she quotes the... Um, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. I think that she, she needs to find a place amongst her wanderings. And I think that this is kind of what she feels like, even though she's presented with other options, I think that she feels like this is her only and best option. And so I think it's interesting for us to see the House of Black and White and for us to kind of see through its mysteries from Arya's perspective, because I think you bring up a good point. Like she's not enamored with the whole thing i don't think and i th- and she's still holding on to this idea of she's going to be who she wants to be and she's going to do what she wants to do and hopefully this will kind of help her along the way she's not buying into the whole entire process but at the same time I, I it's like zach you were saying we know that magic exists and we've seen it happen before and we've seen jack and gar and we've seen ari get to this point and so I think that there's truth to it. And I think that there is a lot that Arya can learn, um, whether or not we saw that on television. (laughs) Um, But I think that there's something that she can take from here um, and a power that she can harness if she uh, tries.
3: You know, I think part of what you saw in season six in terms of viewing was, you know, them trying to show her what that magic is and kind of help her to understand it. But even when she didn't, You know, she was still successful and she was still doing what she wanted to do. And I think she left the house of black and white in season six, still not fully grasping the magic as much as she could, but
1: yeah, absolutely
3: ready to still just do her own thing and, and
1: Jack and let her go.
0: So basically she had a momentary pack. She drafted a pack for a while until she was able to move on to the next thing.
1: That's what I think. Which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but I think, like, look at what it's she's done. It's probably what
0: Nymeria is doing right now in the Riverlands.
1: <laughs> probably. I mean, you think about it. that's the only way that you can... I mean, she's going through this, and you see a lot in this chapter. She makes a comment about how she likes the fact that there's dinner because it's the first time that she's gone to bed with a full stomach in a very long time. And we think about where she's been and how she got here she's just been blow after blow. She's got to have some PTSD. You know, no wonder she doesn't want to leave a place that while there's a lot of mystery and I don't want to call it comfort, that place of comfort, because it absolutely isn't. But I think that it gives her, it gives her something. And I think that she needs something because she's, she's not at the point where she can start checking off her list. I have a question for you guys. I don't know if there's an answer out there and it's maybe a little bit nitpicky, but In this chapter, Arya refers to Sansa in the past tense. So there's a lot of her thinking about her family, and both of these girls are thinking about their family. Arya refers to Sansa in the past tense, and she refers to her father in the present. I don't know if that's something that, like, just get over it, Hannah, or if that's supposed to mean anything. But I just thought that was interesting, the way she's thinking about her family. And I don't know if that would maybe tie into anything in her relationship with Sansa, which could be stretching majorly. Um, But I do think that we see a lot of parallels in these two chapters between the two of them. Um, And it's interesting to kind of think about their journeys and their relationship, um, especially when we get that back to back.
3: You know, could it just be that she always had a better and closer relationship with her father? And so letting go of him, even though he's dead, is just more difficult for her. Mm -hmm. You know, he's always going to maybe be there spiritually for her. Um, even if he's not there physically and maybe it's just a simple thing that, you know, she could let Sansa go a lot easier and faster than she could ever let her father go.
0: And she's not sure what's happening to Sansa.
1: Oh yeah. True.
3: And I love that parallel to you kind of have almost in the same place, not in the same place, but at the same time, uh, these two sisters starting to personify different people and, and taking on these different identities. And I always, Thought that it was more than a just a coincidence that they were doing that
1: in the same time, on opposite ends of the world. Yeah, we get a lot of both of them are kind of going through training in this. Yeah, these two chapters, and they're each learning something. I think that's interesting that we can maybe talk about a little bit more, um, or we can transition more into Elaine or Sansa. Is that I think that both of them are doing things that the other could not do at all. Arya could not survive in Sansa's shoes and could not, I don't think, play to the strengths that Sansa shows in this chapter. And I think that Sansa would have been dead a million hours ago in Arya's shoes wandering. Seeing the two of them play to their own strengths, seeing the two of them thinking about identity and seeing the two of them thinking both back to Winterfell and to their family. um, I just, I really love having them back to back together.
3: Do you think that these like experiences are bettering them for when they potentially meet again all these things that they have learned then just enables them to go forward and fight I guess better than they normally would have been able to in the wars to come so to say.
0: Mhm. I think it has to be it's part of their life and they're moving forward in it. They're facing their own trials. Specifically here like you guys said they're both facing a change in identity but I think more important to that They're at different levels of play in the game. Sansa's a little older, and she's had a guide for most of it, while Arya has had herself and her anger as a guide and some of her dreams back to Nymeria, and then help from the Hound, help from the Brotherhood Without Banners. I guess help, you could say it, whenever she was off the possible list of uh, when the Brave Companions were quizzing people about the Brotherhood Without Banners. She had a little spell in Harrenhal, but she's kind of went from situation to situation either leading or not safely. And Sansa has too. Dantos is the one who helped her out. Baelish is the one who eventually brought her here. But in, in Sansa's chapter, I feel like she is much more comfortable with what's happening. And it can't be a perfect correlation between the two. Arya comfortably made it to the House of Black and White, but she's learning so much more new stuff. Whereas Sansa's fallen into a rhythm with Robin. She's taking care of him rather well. Her identity is cemented. The problem with Marillion is over. And now the only real struggle that she's facing is how the hell does she survive Baelish? Because he surely got all of his stuff figured out by this chapter. I mean, look at that takeover. I know. Ridiculous. It's incredible. The smoothest one I've ever seen in the books. Just absolutely crazy. Sansa thought that there was magic involved and she was right there the whole time.
3: You know, obviously, I think as we go along, you see Sansa slash Elaine start to realize that she can maybe use Robin more to her advantage as opposed to letting Baelish just kind of like you know, claim him for his own. You know, you have that one point, I think, when she starts realizing, you know, Robin is a huge part of what the veil is. And and she can use that. And, you know, seeing how Baelish is probably going to use him, why shouldn't she just make use of the kid before he could? Mm-hmm.
1: I think that absolutely she's learning these types of lessons from him. And I think that she's looking at the way that peter handles i don't ever know what to call him but that's another point um <laughs> which i want to bring up how whatever his name is peter baelish little finger how he's handling this situation with the lord's declarant i think that sansa learns everything from this and i think that if she wants to then take those skills and kind of use like robin like you're kind of saying laura then i think that she's got the best teacher in the game Well,
0: if anything, we do learn how important he is to Baelish's plan, so we have evidence from her narrative that she's learning from Baelish she said something along the lines of with the confidence like Peter Baelish feeling is, as
1: bold as Peter Baelish
0: she stepped downstairs in her normal looking clothes to meet with the lords who just had made that ridiculous trek all the way up Maya Stone's beaten path all the way up to the Erie. meanwhile there are thousands of men waiting down at the gates of the moon
3: well even the the handing over of the gates of the moon you know you're just bringing yes. people onto your side like you're just collecting them like they're trophies but you're just gonna manipulate and use everybody
1: yeah it's exactly. classic him exactly and i think that this is a master class in what he does because you look at the situation where he brings everybody into his home and he hears everybody out and he listens to what they have to say and then he has Corbrey who he buys essentially to turn the tides in his favor to make all the Lords of Clarent look dishonorable and like they're trying to come into his house and hurt him and do all these things that are against the law. Baelish is able to kind of take the high ground from there and flip it on them and, and get what he needs and wants out of this. It's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's incredible the way he's able to play people like that. And Zach, you alluded to this, Elaine, Sansa, Elaine says, as she's thinking about what, Baelish comes out with a year as Lord Protector from the situation that looked pretty hopeless, that he be- bewitched him, that he there was some magic involved. There had to have been something other than his ability to work the room. I don't know. We'd like to take a moment to let you know that the enhanced editions of George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones books are available exclusively on iBooks, including the just released A Feast for Crows enhanced edition.
0: It contains interactive character maps, hundreds of author notes, beautiful illustrations, a sigil guide, and much more. All these extras bring this thrilling adventure to life and help you stay on top of the epic storylines, those of which we are literally reading through on this episode. And when you're fluent in Dothraki or a reader who's digging into the series for the first time, these enhanced editions are the best way to experience this unforgettable series.
1: Get the whole series, including a Feast for Crows enhanced edition exclusively on iBooks at apple.co slash Game of Thrones. Not available in all countries.
0: We know that you love the convenience of opening your podcast app and listening to Game of Owns anytime that you want. It's very convenient. It's because of this we'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor, Stamps.com.
1: Anything you can do at the post office, you can do right now from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes, so you can get postage whenever you need it 24-7.
0: I've recently moved and took small objects with me, such as the garage door opener and left objects such as T-shirts, a brewery Omegang banner, and much more. And our podcast account from Stamps.com has been a personal lifesaver for me, weighing the packages in my house, paying for the exact amount of postage inside of my house, and then just walking outside and setting my package out for someone else to pick it up for me.
1: Right now, use our code OWNS for a special offer, a four-week trial, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click the radio microphone on the top of the homepage and type in OWNS.
0: That's stamps.com, enter code OWNS. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. If you read the chapter, guys, we're talking from one sentence to the other. Lynn Corbray had his sword pulled and then sheathed. And then everyone was like, you know what? I guess a year, I guess a year of you being Lord, protector of the veil without having a single drop of blood relation to what's happening here with Robin not even being Lord Aaron's kid, for God's sakes. You are going to be the ruler of the veil mm-hmm. for the next year. They made that trek all the way there and they made their plans so steady all the way there. Yet Baelish right in front of Sansa is able to shut down all opposition in, you know, a snap of the fingers.
1: Yeah. I read this or I like was thinking about this and saw a theory about this. Um, I guess it's not really a theory, but that the Lord's declarant were actually kind of bluffing here and that they came in with They came in with what they want, which is Robin and they want control, but that none of them actually wanted to fight and that none of them actually wanted to cause conflict. And so as soon as Peter uses Corbett to call them out, it not only does it give Baelish the upper hand, but also kind of scares them into this. Well, we actually don't want a real conflict.
0: Yeah. He mentions that the blood can bleed if we need it. The veil can bleed if we need it to bleed. It can.
1: And they don't really want that. So
0: interesting. Well, it's interesting. Where do you guys think that this plays out?
1: I mean, I think
3: this whole thing, you know, with Baelish and and his relationship with Sansa and Elaine, he's just teaching her how to play the game. And I think that's all, you know, that's always been a big motivation for him is just become a better liar, play the game better. Um, because if you can play the game better, I can use you more. And I, I think there was actually a reference to that at some point when um you know she says what do you what are your plans here what are you trying to achieve like even she doesn't know and he basically just says i just want to keep playing the game i just want to keep doing what i'm doing and and using people to get what i want
1: he name drops the game of thrones (laughs) that moment was amazing which I always love whenever that happens.
0: This is a direct quote from Peter about the game and about a certain other character of ours. He's talking about Cersei. He says, I might have to remove her from the game sooner than I'd planned, provided she does not remove herself first. In the Game of Thrones, even the humblest pieces can have wills of their own. Sometimes they refuse to make the moves you've planned for them. Mark that well, Elaine. It's a lesson that Cersei Lannister still has yet to learn.
1: Ugh. (laughs) I know
3: you could I mean even like the potential just (laughs) foreshadowing in that statement just I feel like I
0: want a Peter Baelish chapter because those little pieces we got from him
3: could you imagine It's just like he knows like you know and and when a chess piece doesn't move the way he wants it to he's just right there with the next one
0: but Sansa's got to kill him right that's the only way Uh, you guys don't think so
1: well I don't know I yeah yes Yes,
0: he is the Lord of Harrenhal. He's cursed. I know, it's coming I just, either way.
1: I like him so much, and I love to see him at work so much that I don't want him to die. But I guess if I have to like think about it from a real analytical perspective, then probably yes.
3: But do you think she's the
1: one to do it? Just not to have it in her, really, to to do that or order I would that. Say I don't at know. The
3: point at the point that we're at with her in this chapter. I would say no, but you know, I can't speak for. Who she becomes later on, she could definitely work her way to that point of just being in the mindset to just do it and it won't even bother her.
0: I think that's possible. Before we say bye, Laura, I need to leave you with a quote. This is a description from George R. R. Martin in this chapter about a friend of ours, one of the Lord's declarant, a Lord Belmore. And just want to tell you about his beard. His beard <laughs> was a ginger gray horror sprouting from a multiplicity of chins. <laughs>
1: Wait, but we also need what if that was Laura's own?
0: Oh wait, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> you need to tell us your own, Laura.
3: Um, oh jeez. I got to give my own. First off, just to to Arya for just being able to be a 10-year-old child in a foreign place and just, you know, saying I don't know if I can put away my old identity, but does it really matter at the end of the day because I'm still just going to be Arya Stark and do myself and I think and a person of her age, that's really just admirable. So own to her first off for that for just being like, you know, screw what everyone else wants for me in my life, I'm gonna do what I want. Um, I would also have to kind of give my own to uh, the Lord's declarant just for kind of being so swayed in their decisions by a man that they probably should hate but don't hate as much as they should
1: all right then well thanks so much laura for coming and hanging out with us on our actual episode and not just a small council meeting i know thanks for having me it was a lot of fun
0: now we have to go back to doing uh the regular show after we say bye to you so Mm. i don't know if i want this moment to end i know (laughs) (laughs) bala mogulis
1: Let's do this thing. Well, that was fun. It's awesome. It's awesome to get women perspective on this story because I feel like it's just me.
0: It was fun. I <laughs> so, I was a bit crowded, but it was a good kind of crowding. Yeah, I, I like the female it. backup. Yeah, so. that was a lot of fun. What do you think? Well, about these chapters, <laughs> Sansa and Arya, so I, me, Elaine, and Arya.
1: I actually, this is something that we brought up a little bit with Laura, and something that I've been thinking about as we're talking about this Elaine chapter, and we're talking about Littlefinger's kind of his role and. and how he's playing and how George R. R. Martin describes that because I think that with both Diane and Laura, we talked a lot about Sansa's identity and we talked a lot about what Littlefinger is doing to shape her and to transform her into the person that she's becoming. And I think that it's interesting because I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but when Littlefinger, Peter Baelish is being creepy. Like there's that moment where he doesn't want porridge for breakfast. He wants a kiss from his daughter and he's being gross. Then George R. R. Martin calls him Littlefinger and that's how we think of him. But when he's being
0: Lord Peter Baelish, he's yeah. Lord Peter Baelish. Mm-hmm.
1: And then also when he's um just kind of being reassuring and kind to Sansa, Elaine, then he's just Peter. Um, So I think that that's super interesting the way that, Because like I was saying, when we were on the calls with them earlier, you never, I never know what to call him because he's got like 85 names and we all kind of circle through them. Um, But I think it's interesting how George R. R. Martin can use his different names to kind of, as we're talking about identity, talk about his different roles that he plays. I picked up on that a little bit and I'm sure there's a ton more examples than what I pulled up, but I thought that was interesting.
0: That's a really cool point.
1: Because I think that we see that. With the way that Sansa thinks about herself as well, because she's thinking about herself as Elaine versus Sansa. And then even with Aria, and I know I've kind of beat this to a dead horse, but the way Aria is thinking about herself um, versus no one versus being a Stark versus she goes through all of her different identities and all the different people she's been um, as she kind of sheds those. So interesting.
0: What do you think of Lynn Corbray?
1: Lynn Corbray. <laughs> I don't know. He's
0: another one of those dark starish characters, just a lot of backstory, talk of his grandeur, his violence, and then this little scene with Baelish.
1: I think that he is the perfect person for Baelish to have picked because I think that while he was asked and paid to kind of play this role here during this conversation, there's no way it would have been pulled off as flawlessly as it had been if he hasn't been... An awful person, or the type of guy to do that kind of thing, you know. It was so well done. Yeah, like he—he was—he's too good to not be that way in his real life. You know what I mean? Were
0: you? fooled or were at the end did you realize exactly what was happening after her suspicion turned to certainty and how shall you reward him for this service mm-hmm. and this is the end of the chapter Littlefinger laughs aloud and remember he's Littlefinger right now with golden boys and promises of course Sarlene is a man of simple tastes my sweetling. all he likes is golden boys and killing
1: <laughs> I buy into it 10 billion percent when the Lords Declarent are kind of going through all the stuff that they want how they want Baelish to go back to Harrenhal, how they want to send Robin to Runestone and all that kind of stuff. I feel like they absolutely had the upper hand because
0: it all made sense.
1: It makes sense. Like he's a yeah, rando at the really end of the day. Is. What what does he have to do here?
0: It's what Cersei you did know? to Ned. She tore the declaration that he was going to be Lord Protector, Regent of the Throne while mm-hmm. Joffrey comes to age. This is what Baelish is doing with Robin. And the same thing is happening to Littlefinger that was happening to Ned, except Littlefinger had all of the defense that he needed. He had the boy on his side and he had an insider. Like He thought of everything. He thought of there was no way, you know, this is the only way it could have turned out.
1: Yeah, he covered all his bases. So I think that it doesn't look good for him because I think that even we see that the cards are stacked against him. And then as soon as Corbray gets out there, and <laughs> who was it that said somebody? He draws his sword, and somebody says, "Are you a Corbray or a Frey?" Yeah, like as as an insult. I think it was Mister Royce, <laughs> which I think or is awesome, and I need to start doing that more often. But as soon as that happens, Littlefinger starts saying stuff like, "You want to defend Lord Robin, but you deny him food, and let me have another year, and blah 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 blah, and and as I said earlier." This is just a masterclass in his ability to read the situation from all angles and to be prepared to handle it. And I think that thus far he does in his journey, no one can outmatch him.
0: Yeah. At least what we know so far. Right. I mean, this was the one to get nervous about, though. He had all those men down at the bottom of the Erie and waiting at the gates. And we had... All the Lord's decorant. I mean, this was the one to get nervous about, Mm -hmm. and he took care of it beforehand. This was just, if anything, it was a show for Sansa.
1: Well, and we have Sansa too, which she even is worried about a little bit in the beginning of what if they recognize me? And what if they see me? You know, I've been seen before. So I think that on top of everything being stacked against Littlefinger himself, then we also have this piece of Sansa's here. And so that also could go terribly wrong, you know?
0: Also, these highborn men still managed to appear like drunkards on the road when they oh. walked in and saw Sansa serving them. It only took, it was a small amount of time before the pleasantries went down. One person said something snide about her being a girl and young and unwed. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, if you were on a little journey that you thought was easily won, I just feel like when we were talking with Laura and Diana, didn't want to crowd them with all of our weird in the weed stuff. But there's this moment and there's some questions about this moment that we've seen kind of run through the last couple chapters. So this theme of tapestries that we've seen woven, get it between this last Cersei chapter and this chapter here with Littlefinger a little bit. So in the last Cersei chapter, we get a glimpse into Cersei making a comment that Littlefinger had asked to get some of Robert's tapestries sent to him. And then we see the result of that in this chapter when Littlefinger says he can't speak bad of Cersei because she's sending him some tapestries and that's so nice and he's so happy about it. And then we also see this half a second with Robin's porridge spoon bouncing off a tapestry. So multiple instances where we hear about these and I don't know if this is all of us just desperate to pick up on every little thing because no word is wasted. But there is this theory, which I think is interesting, that these tapestries, which are Robert's, depict House Baratheon, all the members of his house with dark black hair, whether or not it, what the tapestries actually are. I think they're probably ones that we saw in a Game of Thrones with like hunting scenes and whatever, but I don't think what they are matters. I think that this idea that they depict Baratheon family members with black hair. Um, is one of those things that Littlefinger can have in his arsenal to prove that Cersei's children are illegitimate.
0: And these are the tapestries that she had just sent him, or the ones that he already had? The
1: ones that she's sending him.
0: Interesting. So
1: she's get, he's getting them from her, and there's this idea, as we're talking about the fact that he's kind of steps ahead of everybody and, and kind of covering all of his bases, he's, as he's moving forward with this idea that Joffrey and and all the rest of those kids are Jamie's and not Robert's. This is another piece that can prove that really, or that can continue to prove that case that are now his and in, in his possession. So whether that's, you know, super reading into it or not, I don't know, but I still think it's interesting just because it's kind of come up a little bit in the last couple of chapters that we've read through.
0: And George would do that. The porridge spilling on one of those tapestries. I'd love to know which one that the porridge actually spilled on. Like
1: which house member?
0: <laughs> what that means.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah. Like, I, I think that nothing is too small. So let's, <laughs> let's just go there.
0: Well, for the sake of the state of things, the veil, this is Elaine's first chapter. She's taking her new identity with full vigor. She's got access to Lysa's wardrobe, which is an update. Our young lord still hears Marillion singing at night and Baelish appears to have an even tighter grip on things at the Veil. Vale. I just I love that it was pointed out so wholeheartedly in this chapter through her mind and through the voices of others that Baelish has no place here yet for some reason he's the lord of two major places in mm-hmm. uh Westeros. And he manages to skate by with friends with enemies with tactics without tactics. It's beautiful.
1: It's awesome. It's going so well. What could go wrong for him?
0: What could go wrong? I hope that our young Lord doesn't decide to make him fly. That would be interesting.
1: <laughs> i love to see him at work. I could I could read Littlefinger forever. I feel like he's such a good example for Sansa, and I'm harping on this in this episode because I just think that this chapter here is where she goes from a girl who believes in songs and stories with her road-colored glasses to somebody who learns how to play the game, who's observant, who's suspicious in all the right ways, who uses her power as she's been taught as a woman to play at her strength and to be a big player in the game. I think that we see that with Arya and the kindly man and and both of them are getting taught the things that they need to do to be successful as their stories kind of go on. And so seeing Arya at the house of black and white and Learning all these things, whether or not she wants to take them in, whether or not she actually wants to be there. We talked about that quite a bit. But I think that it's it's great to have these. And we didn't do this. George R. R. Martin did this. Have these two chapters back to back um, as they both are learning from people who are better at their craft than they are.
0: And before we go any really further, we mentioned it when we were speaking with Diane and Laura. But this is the history, that great long foretold history of the House of Black and White told from the mouth of the kindly man. We have flowered in Bravos amongst these northern fogs, but we first took root in Valyria amongst the wretched slaves who toiled in the deep mines beneath the fourteen flames that lit the freeholds nights of old. Most mines are dank and chilly places, cut from cold dead stone, but the fourteen flames were living mountains with veins of molten rock and hearts of fire. So the mines of old Valyria were always hot, and they grew hotter as the shafts were driven deeper, ever deeper. And if you're thinking of the mines of Moria... I think you might be on the right track. Mm -hmm. The slaves toiled in an oven. The rocks around them were too hot to touch. The air stink of brimstone and would sear the lungs as they breathed it. The soles of their feet would burn and blister, even through the thickest sandals. Sometimes when they broke through a wall in search of gold, they would find steam instead, or boiling water, or molten rock. That's terrifying. Certain shafts were cut so low that the slaves could not stand upright, but had to crawl or bend, and there were worms in that red darkness, too. Worms with a Y. Fireworms. Fireworms <laughs> and caps. So so a development.
1: What does it say? Something about how, I can't remember if you just read this, but that they're all kind of praying to different gods asking for the same thing. Right. And this guy realizes that he could be that guy to kind of put them out of his misery. That they
0: were all praying for the same thing. He saw the relation and, and realized that this is all the same God that they're praying to. They wish for death.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you, any of us would. If you, I mean, everything you just describe—it sounds awful down there.
0: It's pretty crazy, and it helps to give a little bit of perspective on what Valeria was like before it fell. When you think mm-hmm. about the kind of craftsmanship that they were able to come out with, and you think about the the suffering and the sacrifice that was necessary uh, for them to get those kinds of metals and for them to discover that kind of technology, I mean, they were digging under threat of fireworms, yeah, which are basically earth-ridden dragons, tunneling like <laughs> dragon sandworms. That I'm assuming are kind of dragons, and they eventually, you know, evolve. Or, or branched off at some point and became dragons that could fly. But these guys can breathe fire too, underground. It's kind of incredible. So I don't know if it's a good thing, but we certainly would have had a little bit more death and violence if Game of Thrones were being depicted on that timeline of the series. People have a problem with how much violence is happening now. Imagine going all the way back then when, you know, I wonder what kind of a uh, problem Daenerys would have had with that brand of slavery that her ancestors were doing versus what's happening now with marine
1: Oh, well, and how how do you... How do you fight against that? And I think it goes into a little bit about that in this chapter. Like, how do you... They're under such incredible oppression. Like, what? what's the way out of there? And you read about some of the different uprisings that they tried to do some stuff and they tried to uprise, but they their only option really was to put themselves out of their misery. And so I think it's interesting that Arya's first thought as she's surprised that they killed the slaves instead of, why wouldn't they kill the masters? And why wouldn't they kind of free them from the situation that they're in, but the fact that...
0: Their time's coming. They'll get theirs. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly, exactly. So I think this is a lot about Aria's thinking as well.
0: So how do you feel about this specifically? Because I know we touched on breaking down some of the mysticism when we were speaking, I think it was to Diane, I'm not sure. I've always felt... You know, in my first read through privately, a lot of those walls got smashed, but in its introduction to the show, it's clearly meant to be this sort of monolithic and in its case in the show, I think that we're gone for good, not very well described place.
1: I think that there's a reason why we don't see this kind of stuff on the show, and and we've talked about the show a lot on this episode, but I think that this kind of stuff is so big and grand that to be able to even give it any sorts of justice that there's it's just it it could be its own series. You know what I mean? So what this means for Arya and what this means for the history of the Faceless Men, if Arya gets far enough, I think that maybe that something will we'll
0: learn. If anything, it's a reminder of the storied past, and we we get those reminders consistently through other points of view, especially right now with Tyrion and everything that he's seeing in the East, and I kind of feel like Arya right now is at the doorway to the East, like the modern version, where Mm -hmm. everyone's gods are here, some people, not anyone where she is, speak the common tongue, and and bravosi, and the men who come in and who die, who George makes sure to highlight all come with different kinds of coins, wearing different kinds of things, and it's very much a uh, a kind of a neutral zone that she's coming to terms with and clearly what they went through in Valeria was so powerful that it lasted this long And so Mm -hmm. I think we're meant to respect the past more so as we work our way through this chapter. And also we're meant to respect whatever they're doing there, especially as we learn what exactly they're doing, because so far we know of the mystery with Jack and Hagar. And I think like Arya at this point, if we were specifically only reading the book, we would be hungry right now for the next Arya chapter because we want to know what's downstairs and we want to know specifically what they're doing there. Because she had her own fears in the chapter, like, for example, about them possibly cooking the flesh of dead people.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, and to tie into your question that you asked earlier in the episode when we were talking about Arya's perspective of all this and whether or not we thought that this was something that was real or the type of stuff that they're doing actually means anything or matters, I think that learning about the history and kind of having the opportunity to spend more time with Arya wandering through instead of her jaded worldview about how... She just kind of wants to get out and she wants to uh, not get out, but she she wants to keep her identity and she's not really ready to buy into the whole thing. I think that this magic and mystery is supposed to make this real. This is real and this is something bigger than Arya and something bigger than Arya's purpose necessarily. And, and, you know, what that means for us as a reader, I'm not sure, but I think that it just it, it adds weight to what she's dealing with.
0: And we're learning that Arya needs to roll her face, Mm -hmm. all of the separate muscles. I think that's why she hides a needle. She's like, well, he's not going to know I hit it under the rock. Apparently, it's not magic. (laughs) Yeah. But that's Arya. In her own words, too stupid to learn and too stupid to give up.
1: The end of the chapter ends with her smiling as she chants her death prayer, basically. So doing what she's about to do with a fishmongering. She'll be fishmongering, learning a new language, and then she'll be out of here without us really knowing why she was here in the first place. I guess, so, I guess. can't wait. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Elaine, Sansa, Arya, Aria Underfoot, Aria Horseface, Aria Weasel, Squab, Salty, Nan the <laughs> Cup Bear, A Grey Mouse, a Sheep, The Ghost of Hall. They all deserve our owns.
1: <laughs> every single one. <laughs> you have to f- an own for every single one of them. Finally, you can give a thousand of them.
0: And shout out to Sir Amory Lorch for being thrown into the bear pit. Just wanted to remember just, that. Just shout out. It's been a while. Out.
1: Well, I already kind of gave my Aria own a little bit earlier when I read the passage of her hiding needle because I just love that so much. and. That I give my own to that. It's my favorite of all time, and I love, love, love the very end where she says the many-faced God can have the rest, but he can't have this. So own to that beautiful passage.
0: Beautiful. I I want to give my own to Arya's self-awareness. Too stupid to learn, too stupid to give up. I feel that way all the time. My sentences are as crooked as my stitches used to be. I also relate, Arya Stark. Thank you for being relatable.
1: (laughs) Hashtag relatable.
0: Also uh, to the wave for being 36.
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay. Especially when everyone's so young in this book, for the wave to be 36, I mean, that's like...
0: I want what she's having.
1: (laughs) Yeah, same.
0: Whatever poisons.
1: Same. I'll take it all. I'm going to give my own for the Sansa chapter. Lynn Corbray's ego. Um, Baelish mentions that there is a specific battle, um, that you're not to mention in front of him. It says, that's not a point you'll want to raise with Corbray, though. Those who are soon, those who do are soon given the chance to ask Martell himself the truth of it down in the halls of hell. Um, and I just think that shit. (laughs) We get this resume of all this cool stuff he's done, but. If you ask him about his defeats, then you will get to ask Martel himself. So I thought that was pretty awesome.
0: Also kind of own to him for not giving himself his own nickname that we know of yet. <laughs> that we know of. I want to give it to Sansa, but it's hard to not give it to Peter Baelish in this chapter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No fuss, no you know, interesting ways to make it at own. Just read it. He, uh he's the Lord and protector of the veil. And we've thought from the last onset chapter that there was possibly going to be more trouble, but he took care of it. I wonder what's next.
1: I guess we'll find out. I
0: guess we'll find out.
1: Now that we've given our own owns, which we need to figure out a better way to say that because we say that every week and every week it feels weird. <laughs> it is <laughs> um, a little weird. Now that we've given our own owns, um, we can be all of yours, which first thing that we've got from Twitter is from Claire Fleischer, who says, Slam dunk to Catalin for being too much a part of her girl's identity to forget, i.e. no one's cat and Elaine's Tully dress.
0: Also, I want to give a shout out to Nymeria on oh, top yes, of your tweet, yes, Claire. Yes. Ship Nymeria. Yeah, we didn't,
1: mention, we didn't mention any of those things. So that was great. Thanks, Claire.
0: And from J Wells, King Wells on Twitter, own to Bronze Yon for not taking out Ned and Roderick in the practice yard. Also for making Lady Forlorn go to bed thirsty. Crying face, crying face, crying <laughs> face, sword, splash, wine. <laughs> OJ. <laughs>
1: I love this trend of emojis that we've got lately. Uh, next, we have Julie Harris Green at Inky Pages, who, for Aria 2, says, Being a Stark owns Aria, for now at least. Hashtag, got a needle I can borrow. And for Elaine, Sir Lin owns the other lords with his sir- thirsty sword.
0: Thirsty from Brienne of Tarth her Arya own goes to Elaine for doing a better job of being someone else than Arya is so far (laughs) and her (laughs) lane own goes to Lady Forlorn for being both a kick-ass sword name and a band name hashtag dibs (laughs) please (laughs) Lady Forlorn wow if that's not a Westerock girl all girl we quit all Westerock all girl band I don't know
1: and last on Twitter we have at Heathen King who says own to the sword Lady Forlorn my lady has a thirst Sir Lynn insisted whenever (laughs) she she comes to dance, she likes a drop of red. <laughs>
0: All right, Travis Cole on Facebook. I found it very hard to make owns for these two chapters, considering how much information and throwbacks were involved. Nevertheless, I narrowed it down somehow. For the Elaine chapter, my own goes to the description again of Lady Forlorn, House Corbray's great sword, and how it reminded Elaine slash Sansa of Ice. For the Arya chapter, my own goes to old Nan for still being in Arya's Daily Thoughts, when she remembered an old Nan tale in correlation to the people who came to the House of Black and White to pass on to the next life. And I'm not the only one who does this. Please, everyone, take note. He has an honorable mention. Own goes to the hound for being (laughs) mentioned in both
1: chapters. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Travis Cole. And the last Facebook own is from Denny Chade, who says, first owns ever. Welcome. I have seen your show on Wix last watchers for years, but finally, Exclamation Point started listening in December and binge listened to five plus years worth of episodes in six weeks. Go me. I have no life. Wow. (laughs) That's so awesome. Um, My own for Elaine goes to Sansa for her very perceptive catch of Littlefinger's game with the Lord's declarant. Quote, Sir Lin will remain my implacable enemy. He will speak of me with scorn and loathing to every man he meets and lend his sword to every secret plot to bring me down. And how shall you reward him for the service?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: For Arya to Uncle Ray for kicking me in the fields with a Z with this paragraph that we read earlier which is amazing and I'm happy to get to read it again Needle was Rob and Bran and Rickon her mother and her father even Sansa Needle was Winterfell's grey walls and the laughter of its people Needle was the summer snows old Nan stories the heart tree with its red leaves and scary face the warm earthy smell of of the glass gardens the sound of the north wind rattling the shutters of her room Needle was Jon Snow's smile and then I look forward to keeping up with the rest of your read and the upcoming season 7 thanks for a great show Thank you. Well, thanks for your first own.
0: And this is an email from Mary. Mary writes, I started listening to your podcast a few months ago and am finally caught up to the present, having a blast with the new reading order. As these are my first owns, welcome. I knew I couldn't stick to 140 characters. I included the hashtag, so pretend this is a really long tweet. <laughs> for the Arya chapter, my own goes to the kindly man. Puff up your cheeks and stick out your tongue. Arya puffed up her cheeks and stuck out her tongue. There. Your face has changed. Hashtag <laughs> Aria Puff Face. Hashtag TheKindlyManGotDadJokes. And for the Elaine chapter, her own goes to Lady Wainwood for calling out Lord Hunter's creeper status. If only his bushy mustache hit his dirty mind as well as it hides his mouth. Hashtag right for the plucking. Hashtag who says that? That's awesome. Thank you for the email, Mary. 140 characters be damned. <laughs> if you'd like to join the rakes of your fellow listeners writing in owns to the show, you can do so. It's not too hard. It's actually kind of fun because sometimes most of the time you guys end up writing cooler, better, more interesting owns than we do. And it's nice to get a little bit of your perspective
1: in. You can tweet at us at Game of Owns or head over to Facebook and write on our Facebook wall. Or you can send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com if your 140 characters is not enough for all your thoughts. And before we go, we'd like to thank George R.R. R. Martin.
0: The Enhanced Editions of George R.R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones books are available exclusively on iBooks, including the just released A Feast for Crows Enhanced Edition.
1: It contains interactive character maps, hundreds of author notes, beautiful illustrations, a sigil guide, and much more. All these extras bring the thrilling adventure to life and help you stay on top of the epic storylines.
0: Get A Feast for Crows Enhanced Edition exclusively on iBooks at apple.co slash Game of Thrones. Not available in all countries. And if you're not listening to Rewatch the Throne, our new series on the podcast network, Howl, what are you doing?
1: What's your problem?
0: You should at least <laughs> rewatch Game of Thrones before season seven comes out, at the very least.
1: We didn't mention it, but it's been, in this episode particularly, but it's fun to have a chapter where we're talking about Sirio and Arya reflecting back to her, and also having just watched those episodes on Rewatch. So lots of connections that I hadn't thought about that we get to kind of play with, and it's awesome.
0: Yeah, and we're, we're treating them like the show is airing like an in-season episode of Game of Thrones, which is really fun. So just watching the TV show and then gushing about it directly after we watch it as normal, doing our owns, taking your owns. It's a lot of fun. We just did episode six and our next episode will be episode seven. Mm -hmm.
1: So you can find that at rewatchthethrone.com and you can send in your owns just the normal way at game of Owns on Twitter and on Facebook. And then we also have a Patreon for those of you who still need more shows from us. We've got our squad of ice and fire, which is our Patreon podcast. If you're interested in listening to us talk about green day listening to me listen to you talk about green day all right we need to clarify (laughs) (laughs) it it was a
0: 15 minute sidebar with one of our (laughs) listeners who called in today and we had a real connection all right so that's it
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can head over to patreon.com slash game of owns and check that out
0: but next for game of owns we are inviting cersei five and reek two to the feast I'm not sure how well they're going to interact with the rest of our guests, but I think it'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: we don't make the rules.
0: Actually, in this case... Actually, we do.
1: <laughs> Never mind. <laughs>
0: anyway, <laughs> please follow along with us at afeastwithdragons.com. Just keep listening to Game of Thrones. And if you haven't listened to all of our episodes, if you're new, like so many of our listeners who write in and you want to start from the beginning, I've realized that there are so many other podcasts, let alone so many other great Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire podcasts. But if you want to, it is all laid out. Sort it out by season, by book, whatever. At GameOfBones.com. dot com. Just have fun with it,
1: and we'll see you soon.